A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 17, beginning at the first verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, today is the last Sunday after Epiphany. Epiphany was seven whole weeks ago. Seven weeks ago. I don't know what the last seven weeks have looked like for you, but I'm amazed how quick we have got to where we are. Some of it has been good, those seven weeks. Some of it has been hard. And undoubtedly in this room, there have been all sorts of varied experience in the last seven weeks. But I wonder if you've had any epiphanies over that period, any moments of inspiration, understanding, transformation. Epiphany was seven weeks ago, and we are coming into Lent. But just before we do, we get to look at this amazing event in the ministry of Jesus, the time of Jesus on earth, the transfiguration. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. And we get to look at this transformation. I like to call it transformation because that's what happened to Jesus on that mountaintop. But also, it's transformation for us. It's not just what happened to Jesus on that mountaintop. But what happened to him there is a signal to what can happen to us. How we can be transformed by Jesus 
and how that can happen in what I like to call mountaintop experiences. Now, a mountaintop experience can be both a spiritual or a natural thing, and some of us will have had many of these throughout our life, and others fewer. But when it comes to our faith, it's actually really important that we have mountaintop experiences. And just to define what I mean and and not get too carried away, what I mean by mountaintop experiences are encounters with God that change and challenge us. They don't need to be overly emotional, they don't need to be theatrical, but they change and challenge us. They help us to transform into who God is wanting us to be, how God is wanting us to live. This could also be described as an epiphany moment something that sparks, the light turns on, and we realize a great truth. And we have been talking a lot about truth over the past seven weeks. Truth for our time and truth for all time is our theme for the year, our slogan, if you will. For some of us, mountaintop experiences might have been going up a physical mountain to worship God, but for many, it will and has and will continue to be moments of silence or stillness where we encounter God. For others, it might have been conversations that you've had with others, digging deep into the Bible, personal study or devotional study, or listening to a sermon, probably one of Stuart's. Perhaps while singing a particular worship song or hymn that has greatly grabbed your heart, or maybe on a camp experience that you had at some point, or a missions event or trip or conference, or maybe just in prayer, your own prayer or prayer with others, which for many of us is a very powerful experience, genuine prayer with others. Whatever it looks like, you may have encountered God and something happened in you, a transformation, the beginning of a transformation maybe. Now I'm using an analogy of a mountaintop, but quite literally in the Bible, God spoke often to his people on mountaintops. God spoke to Noah on Mount Ararat, to Abraham on Solomon on Mount Moriah. He worked powerfully with Elijah on Mount Carmel, and he spoke to Elijah in the still small voice of Mount Horeb. Jesus taught on the Mount of Olives, and of course we have Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the city of God, where God has spoken. And we might not physically encounter God on a mountaintop, but what occurs can be like these moments that are seen in the Bible for us. They will be memorable and powerful and leave what I would call an indelible mark and change in us, a transformation or the beginning of one. We look at such an encounter today in our text. We see a transformation in Jesus, but Jesus isn't the only person on that mountaintop. We're going to start with some context about the mountain itself and the transfiguration. Now, there are two possible mountains uh, that could be the Mount of Transfiguration that are mentioned here in today's passage. One is Mount Tabor, which is pictured to the top right of the screen, and the other is Mount Hermon, which is on the lower right. Either of these may have been the location, although we get a little bit of a hint uh, in our text today. It says that Jesus and his disciples were in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and six days later, they appeared at this mountain from Caesarea Philippi. Now, um, Mount Hermon is the closer being the star at the top. Caesarea Philippi is the little tech chick mark, text mark, tick. And Mount Tabor is the one that is actually the traditional favorite down the bottom. Uh, It's between Tiberius and Nazareth. Now, in recent years, Mount Hermon 
has become the popular choice by scholars. Uh, and this is for a pretty important reason. Uh, so it's actually a pretty convincing one. Theoretically, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and Mount Hermon are all the same mountain or mountain range. Meaning that particularly the appearances of Moses and Elijah make a lot of sense at this location. Experiences of transformation in the lives of these Old Testament powerful prophets and men occurred there. We read that on a mountain, Jesus was transfigured. Now, transfiguration, it's a word we don't really use today. Has anyone used that word in the last? Oh, last week I was transfigured. It's, it's good. It's not, not a commonly held term. Uh, the word means literally to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. To transform into something more beautiful or elevated. Interesting that it's used on top of a mountain. Um, elevated it is. And this uh, is interesting, the uh, beautiful and elevated, because it, it definitely fits the gospel account that says, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Uh, there is a painting that I had at the very start of my slides here. It's actually, for those that are art lovers in the room, you'll know that this isn't the whole painting. It's actually been snipped and the whole bottom is missing. But this is uh, Raphael's classic, famous work, masterpiece, you could say, The Transfiguration of Christ. I'm sure it's 100% too detailed and correct. Everyone, think, I definitely, uh, Jesus is elevated for sure. I mean, he's in the air. Uh, you can't get more elevated than that. This might not have been what it actually looked like. But there are some interesting parts to note uh, that Raphael has put into this piece. It shows Moses and Elijah appearing next to Jesus in the air and the disciples on the ground, but also extra onlookers that aren't described in the biblical account, some off to the side there and others off screen. The Bible does specify one very important detail that Raphael has caught here, and it's the clothes of dazzling white. Dazzling white. There are also other places of the Transfiguration story in the New Testament, of course, in some of the other Gospels, where this dazzling white is mentioned. Mentioned again and again. In Mark chapter 9, a further comment is made about it, that this white was whiter than any bleach anyone on earth could make. This was a divine white. It wasn't just nice white, it was divine and it's not a surprise that for Christians, white has become synonymous with right, white with pure, white with defining a clean slate. This is what the transformation of Jesus does in us. It gives us a clean slate, a white page to write on afresh. Wherever you are today, whatever you may have done, forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ a white page, a fresh start. And you may have come to Jesus before. A white page is available to you today, a fresh start. Transformation is on offer through Jesus Christ and the transformation that he brings. One thing about transformation, one thing about a white page is that it can be very daunting I don't know if you've ever sat in front of a white page with nothing on it and thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to start this writing, I've got to do this checklist, I've got to finish that assignment, I've got... A white page can be daunting, 
but the power in a white page is that it gives us the opportunity to grow. It gives us the opportunity to begin again. So, this was great. This was good. They were on the mountain, dazzling white, lots of things going on. Peter sees all this and the disciples that are with him. They look at Jesus and go, wow, this is incredible. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Come on, Jesus, this is awesome. We should put up a tent. You guys should just stay here. We should just live here. I really think that, you know, having Moses and Elijah back is the best plan ever. Let's just set up camp permanently. Oh, look at that. That's good. Let's just put down these roots and we can just all stay here in this amazing mountaintop experience moment. It'll be really great. It'll be really good. Have you ever had that feeling where you've experience something really great and you just want to stay there? I know I have. I've been on holidays and I've started looking at houses in the area that I can buy because I'm like, oh, that would be great. But what finally comes to mind when these experiences happen is we often have a revelation that the mountaintop experience isn't real. It's great at the time, but it's not how real life is. It's just a part of life. Life is full of valleys and mountaintops. Sometimes we have these experiences, but we have to learn that we must come down the mountain at some stage, that there must be more. Now, something interesting really happens next, which is not uh, exactly what Peter had in mind when he was saying, let's set up tents and stay here, because he gets interrupted by God It literally says, while Peter was still speaking, saying, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, let's set up home. A bright cloud appeared and overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And I think this is a really important and crucial truth about mountaintop experiences. It's not just about the experience. It's about continuing after the experience to listen to God, continuing to grow. Many people have experiences of God in their life, but then don't continue to listen, don't continue to trust, don't continue to grow. This is often the case, I'm sure many of you have seen this in your world, where people might come to faith for a short period of time and then fall away. The experience is not the be-all, end-all. Listening to him, this is really what is important. We should have the experiences, but we should listen and continue to grow. When this voice from heaven came, it says the disciples heard it and fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. Think we should listen to Jesus. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And if we're listening to hear Jesus here, we will see something. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid in one sense, but we should be in another. 
Fear of God has become a tidbit, a bit of a dirty phrase in the modern church, but it's actually crucial to our understanding and relationship with God. We should have a healthy fear of God. He is God, after all. But not in the way that some people suppose. It's not a cowering, scared fear. It's a fear of God that is awe and respect for how incredible, amazing, terrifying, and wonderful he is at the same time. This is the type of fear of God we must have. And I love what Jesus does here. He tells us not to be afraid because if we have Jesus, we have no need to be afraid of God. Because in Jesus, we have mercy, grace, forgiveness in all its abundance. We need not fear this God. He loves us. He cares for us. We should have a healthy fear and respect for God in honor, in reverence, because we can see how powerful he is. Just like a raging sea, we know how powerful it is and we respect it. And so the story of a mountaintop is coming to an end. Next we read that they are coming down the mountain. And unfortunately, I I fear I have been hit by popular culture, but I couldn't stop thinking of, they'll be coming down the mountain. She comes, he'll be coming. I don't know why, every time I read this verse, it's in the back of my head. But they were coming down the mountain. And Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And it seemed a little bit odd. Why would Jesus do that? Well, Jesus' time to show himself had not yet come. Not yet come. And I think this is pretty key. This is one of the reasons why. But this story is a very important story. And clearly it was told after the resurrection, after Jesus had risen from the dead. But what it points us to, what I think it can direct us to, is that this is a great story, and all of our mountaintop experiences with God are great stories. They're important. But some of them are just for us. And some of them are for others to be told. But the main story, the most important story of all, is that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that Jesus saves lives. Jesus transforms. It's not about an experience that I've had It's about what Jesus has done. Ultimately, that is the most important thing. Jesus saves. And that that white page that we mentioned earlier is available to all. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've had an experience of God in your life, it's time to seek him afresh, to continue your transformation. If you've never had an experience of God, and what I'm talking about seems completely foreign to you, then be encouraged that Jesus extends his loving arms towards you this morning. He came to die for you. And if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And I'm not talking about an emotional experience, something radical here, but putting ourselves in a position to hear from and seek God. All that is required of us is that we come to him in faith. This is the gospel truth, a truth for our time and a truth for all time. All that is required of us is that we come to him in faith. God will do the rest. We don't have to manufacture an experience with God, an experience. God will do the work. We can be transformed through Jesus Christ if we come to him in faith. 
We don't have to be the people we once were. We can be made new. We can continue the journey of transformation if we've already begun. Are you being transformed by Jesus this morning? If not, why not? So my expectation to us this morning is be transformed. Come to Jesus. Make it your goal this year to grow in your faith like you never have before. Make it your goal this Lent to grow in your faith like never before. Dig into the Scriptures. Because we know that mountaintop experiences are just a part of it. And when we hit the valleys, we need things to sustain us. When we hit the long road in the valley where the mountaintops seem like they're very much in the distance, we need God more than ever. And there are many experiences in the Bible where God also spoke to those in the valley. We don't get to live on the mountaintop. To finish very, very practically this morning, I want to encourage us on a very, very practical thing. We need people around us to help us to grow on the journey. People who are praying for us week to week, we can talk to about what's happening in our lives, about the scriptures, about what's troubling us, about what we're struggling with, both inside of faith and outside of faith, although it is all one. We need people who will walk the road with us, and that is a huge part of being in church, being a part of a church. It's not about Sunday services, although they are great. I'd like to encourage you this Lent to join a small group if you haven't already, or to do Bible study with friends if it needs to be more informal or not as regular, or to do the Lenten studies in your own time as they come through on an email. I wouldn't go as far to say as you will have a mountaintop experience, but I do go as far to say that if you are open to God speaking, he promises he will. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your transfiguration. Thank you that transformation is possible through what you have done for us, what you did on the cross, that you rose from the dead. Thank you that we can be made clean by your work. Lord, help us, be with us, help us to grow and be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to see.